Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Merit is the nothing personal word of the day. It's Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. Merit. Merit used as a noun, not as a verb in this case. And merit is the word used by Colts owner Jim Ursay yesterday, talking about Daniel Snyder and his removal as owner of a National Football League team called the Washington Commanders. I am starting on a day when there was a game five in the National, in the American League Division Series. There was a game one of the National League Championship Series in Major League Baseball. But the story again was what happened in the NFL. And sometimes we talk about things on field, but what happened off field, it was the most chaotic, crazy owners meetings, maybe in the history of owners meetings. Now, when you declare a strike or you get rid of an owner, like officially, that's a big one, or a big team sale, that's sort of interesting. Anytime there's fistfights in an owner's meeting, that's sort of cool, or some sort of palace intrigue, interesting, like a coup. But yesterday's NFL meeting in New York was spectacular, and it was real. And we're going to go step by step because it's important for you to understand the way the meeting went down in order. So... What you do at a meeting is everyone sits in a room and you've got 32 owners sitting there and you've got the commissioner of football, Roger Goodell, and they're going through league business. They're not going through the media. They're not going through the gossip. They're not going through the results of week seven. They're not talking about great things that happened on the field or any records. They're talking about anything in the league. They're giving updates with revenue. They're giving updates with expenses. They're going through financials. They're going through any issues with broadcast partners, any issues that are going on in Washington, D.C., and I don't mean with the commanders, I mean with Capitol Hill. So there's like a legislative report. So it's really like an update is what happens. There was talk, and we'll get to this after because it's the fourth best story of, that came out of this owner's meeting, What compens- compensation, that's discussed, the compensation for the commissioner, different committees meet. All of this happens in normal owner's meetings. Then when an owner's meeting ends, several things happen. There's a gaggle of press waiting to speak to the commissioner, in this case, Commissioner Goodell, when it's baseball, Commissioner Manfred. And there's an official press conference at the end of an owner's meeting where media gets to ask questions. In addition, there are reporters who sort of hang around in the lobby 
where the meetings take place. If it's at a hotel, they hang around in the lobby. If it's in the uh, um, offices of the National Football League, they could take place down in the lobby of the building. And those are reporters who are national reporters, business reporters, and they try to see owners as they come out of the meetings to get the owners to talk. So they do scrums, let's say. A scrum is when you've got a bunch of people holding a microphone to your face. Sometimes it's a one-on-one. Sometimes you've got three reporters or four reporters. At the end of a meeting, the head of PR for baseball or the head of PR for football is communicating with the owners about what can and cannot be said and what will be said and by whom after the owners meeting. So very often during the course of a meeting, there'll be a topic discussed and the commissioner will say, listen, this topic does not leave this room. And then Bud Seelig would always say, but I know we've got leaks in this room. I put out a memo here and before I can open the goddamn door, the memos with Ron Blum and the Associated Press, tell me how that happens. How do they know what's happening before I do? So clearly there are always owners who have leaked stuff and who have good communication because they think that having a media member on their side or a prominent media member on their side will help them not have negative things written about them. So they trade information for love, which is a trade that doesn't always work. But officially, there are some owners who are asked to talk. And they are told the certain talking points. Hey, when you get to your scrum, let's make sure we communicate the following. Let's make sure coming out of this meeting that the media knows that we did X, Y, and Z. I'm going to say this commissioner, you can reiterate it as owner. Like when the commissioner gets re-upped for a new contract, for an example, he'll put out a few different owners to say a few different things about how good he is. When there's a new broadcast deal, you'll have a few different owners talking about how good MLB.com is and how good the deal is with this network or that network. So this is all very, very common. Everything's going fine. Now, this owner's meeting was going to be a little different because in the NFL, there was so much going on with Danny Boy. And I'm trying to remain calm, but deep inside, just know that my tail is wagging because the subject matter that you're about to hear is it's almost as though we've got a writer's room for nothing personal. And this is some sort of scripted television show. And people are coming up with story arcs for characters. And we're releasing this one episode at a time. And you just can't get enough. I just can't get enough. Full Depeche mode. Just can't get enough. Okay. So. The owner's meeting ends, out comes the owners, and before you know it, Jim Ursay, who is an owner who has had some issues. Jim Ursay has been arrested a few times. He's been, he's got some issues with drugs. He's got some issues with memorabilia. He's not exactly an unscathed spokesman. Never anything, as far as I know or recall, sexually related or crime related or fraud related. Just a little eccentric and a little... uh does think, likes to party. So let's assume that's the baseline. Let's assume that Jim Ursay is one of the owners who's got skeletons in his closet and those skeletons have been brought forward the way they are in Halloween, taken out of the attic and put on your lawn for everyone to see. It's way easier to go through life when you're not trying to keep things locked in a closet. That goes for just about everything in your life. It's always easier to be out of the closet in every way if it's comfortable and possible, because then there's fewer ways to be hurt. So Jim Ursay comes out, and out of nowhere, and this goes viral, within seconds, he says, there is no merit. Hold on, Coca, that was the line of the show, 469. 
Jim Mersey says there is merit to getting rid of Daniel Snyder. And that got tweeted and that made it around the world. I want to read to you a definition of what merit is when it's used as a noun because he used it as a noun in this case. It means the quality of being particularly good or worthy, especially so as to deserve praise or reward. So merit, when it's used as a noun that way, is meant to say to you that we're looking at doing something and it's going to feel right and it's going to feel good and it's going to feel smart. You don't often hear merit used in the same sentence as getting rid of an owner. When asked whether Jim Ursay thought that there were 24 votes to get rid of Daniel Snyder. And this has been the topic of conversation for so many Nothing Personal episodes. You need 24 votes to do anything. Anything. Short of that, the commissioner could want Snyder out. 23 men, women and children could want Snyder out. If you don't get the 24th, he's not going anywhere. Being forced out, that is. He can always sell on his own. He can always pull a server. So Jim Mercer says, I think we've got the votes. I could see that happening. Jim Ursay does not go public no matter how his background is with the media, no matter how militant he is by saying, you've got nothing on me, Danny. You can investigate me till the cows jump over the moon. Everybody knows everything about me. Jim Ursay going public, talking about the merit of getting rid of Snyder was not an accident. Roger Goodell, when asked whether he knew what Jim Irsay was going to say, was he basically demurred. I wouldn't expect the commissioner to do anything other than to say, hey, I, I, I don't know, I didn't know, I could have known, I won't know, I should know, I shouldn't know. He wasn't going to say a word. But Jim Irsay is not going out there on his own doing that. It is far too sensitive. It is not as though that Jim Irsay was personally attacked by Dan Snyder in the ESPN article, all of the owners were attacked. Ursay was not specifically mentioned the way Jerry Jones was, as an example. Jerry Jones had his own issue with the owners meeting, which we're gonna get to. So Jim Ursay comes out and says this, and the first thing that I'm thinking is, the commanders have to respond, and the NFL has to respond. And the NFL's response is going to be, hey, there's an investigation going on, we're not gonna talk about this right now, did you know what Ursay was going to say? Listen, we're not going to talk about it. The NFL purposefully is going to take the position. We're in the middle of doing something correctly in the right order, and we've got lawyers, and we know what we can say and can't say. When individual owners talk, they are not part of the PR plan. Wink, wink. They are not part of the legal defense or the legal plan, and it's okay for them to get messages out. Those messages are meant not to be heard by me or by you, those messages are meant to be heard by Snyder. Anytime you have an owner go out and talk about another owner, they've got access to each other. It's not like me trying to reach Jennifer Aniston and doing a tweet and adding her and hoping that she reads it. I have no way to get in touch with her. These owners, Jim Mersey knows exactly how to reach Robert Kraft or Jerry Jones or Daniel Snyder. We get a phone book 
that has everybody's cell phone in it. It's a confidential phone directory. Even if you're not friends with someone in the league, you have their phone number. You know how to reach them. For crying out loud, you can get connected through Goodell. He can do a conference call. He can add a call on FaceTime. You can reach an owner. There is no reason to go through the media to communicate with an owner or to comment about another owner unless it's part of a finely tuned, executed plan that you are doing. So Jim Mersey does it. Meanwhile, what the other teams do, and the Marlins and the Expos were in a very good position to do this over the years at owners' meetings because often we were the subject of owners' meetings, whether it was contraction, whether it was uh, the sale of the team, whether it was the swap in 2002, all sorts of things, revenue sharing. We were in trouble with the union for the payroll being too low. We were often the subject of things that are post-owners meeting. Manfred would tell us what he was going to say. Selig would tell us what he was going to say to the media. All of that was well communicated, but yet we would have our PR people monitor what other owners were doing as they were leaving the owners meeting. Because were there any owners out there who are going rogue? And if they're going rogue, we're going to need to hear about it because we're going to have to be nimble and ready with the response. We would have responses crafted to certain things that we thought could come up. So as an example, when we were told to increase our payroll, which by the way, may have covered in a different episode, the fix was in. We agreed to be singled out as a team. We knew we were signing Josh Johnson. For those of you who know, you know if you don't Google it. We were not taken aback by that, but we were prepared with what we were going to say to the media right after the meeting because we knew what was going to be out there. Daniel Snyder was very, very aware of what was going on at this owner's meeting because following the ESPN article, following the conversation where it became clear, maybe, or alleged that he was hiring personal investigators to dig up dirt on odors, that he was quoted as potentially, allegedly saying, I am going to F all of you and you can't F with me. There's a lot of owners saying you can't F with me in these owner's meetings. I'm talking about you, Jerry Jones. We'll get back to that later. It's amazing what is going on. Roger Goodell is losing a little bit of control, but he still has got the votes to be commissioner. That's clear. So Daniel Snyder knows that he's going to have to contend with something. So he's got his lawyers ready. He's got his um, he's got his PR people ready. But then the Ursay comments come out, and the commanders have to do a quick response. And what they responded with was very interesting. And I want to get it to you. It is highly inappropriate but not surprising that Mr. Ursay opted to make statements publicly based on falsehoods in the media. When you start your response with a in parentheticals, which is what happens when words are surrounded by commas, that means that in a sentence structure, when you write a sentence that has two commas in it, you should be able to take out the words that are in between the commas and the sentence that remains should still make sense. It is highly inappropriate that Mr. Ursay opted to make statements publicly based on falsehoods in the media. That sentence makes sense. They added the parenthetical, but not surprising. Why are you poking if you're the commanders? You don't need to put in, but not surprising, because that's a dig at Jim Ursay that is unnecessary. Tell me in your statement why what Jim Ursay said is not accurate. Don't tell me that I shouldn't consider the source. 
because everybody knows when Jim Ursay is talking or any owner is talking, he is talking and is complicit with many other owners in that room. They go on. It is unfortunate that Mr. Ursay decided to go public with his statement today while an investigation is in process and the team has had no opportunity to formally respond to allegations. Love that sentence structure. I'm digging in here, Danny boy. I don't like that you approve this statement and I haven't even gotten to your letter yet. There's been an investigation going on into the commanders. One investigation was complete. That Remember the one where you were fined? Remember the one where you lost control of your team? Do you remember that investigation? This next investigation, trying to figure out what's going on in terms of the ESPN article and all the other things that happened after the first investigation ended, that's true, that is ongoing. What is not ongoing, because you are so close to the edge of tomorrow. What's not ongoing is the fact that you on one end and the other owners on the other end are currently counting votes. You were very clear in your response to that ESPN article that not only were you angry that it was written, not only is it all a bunch of BS, but that you didn't do any of those things that are alleged and you don't feel that there's any risk or danger of a 24 vote count to get rid of you. So you put in your team response that there's an investigation in process, therefore we can't even respond. Do you know when you're running a team you can respond to anything? I can send a, I can send a leak, I can send a spokesperson, I can hire a lawyer to do a public response. I never liked my lawyers speaking to the media, though. We would actually tell all the lawyers we hired, I'll take care of the media stuff. You will not talk to the media. Don't charge me two grand an hour so you can sit with a media person. I'm fine. So Danny Boy has every opportunity to respond to all falsehoods contained anywhere. We know this. You know this is the audience, the way owners and team presidents can deal with this. Then the commanders get into what they've been using as their line, which is the pat line used. The commanders have made remarkable progress over the past two years. <laughs> For whatever reason, Danny is being advised that if everyone believes that everything is better within the organization and that Jason Wright, the new president, has all the power in the world and that he has not taken over operations from either Jason or Tanya and that he's in the background trying to make sure the foundation's working well and trying to improve and increase his character, that if everyone believes that, then it doesn't matter what he did before. Now, I understand and believe in second chances. I understand and how difficult it can be when you're branded or when you're a convicted felon to get work. I, I get all that. I've been in the working world for many, many decades. When you are an owner of a team though, you are in a completely different position. You don't need to say and talk about the progress your organization has made because that's a fugazi. That, that's not what's being discussed here. What's being discussed is what you did as owner. Now you may have allowed an organization and the, the disgusting cloud of harassment and misogyny around the organization may have started with you, Danny. But at the end of the day, you've got different departments who don't even have privity to you, even vertical privity to you, forget horizontal privity. There's so many levels below you in the organizational chart that you don't even know their names. 
and they've got bosses who have bosses who have bosses who then are two layers away from being with you. So it doesn't matter and it doesn't have anything to do with what Jim Irsay is saying that the organization is doing better. The question is about you, Danny, not your organization. And they end their statement, this is the commanders, by saying, we're confident that when he, Jim Ursay, has an opportunity to see the actual evidence in this case, Mr. Ursay will conclude that there is no reason for the Snyders to consider selling the franchise, and they won't. Boom. Microphone drop. Dan Snyder wanted to make sure that the commander's statement ended with yet another clear statement. I'm not going anywhere. If you want to get rid of me, you better come with lawyers in addition to votes. So Jim Mercer talks. The commanders respond. But that wasn't enough. Not even close. We had to hear from Danny. Danny himself. You've got a few choices when you are under pressure as an owner. You can stand up. One time, side note here, Coca. Back in 2000 and 2001, there was a risk of contraction in Major League Baseball as part of negotiating a collective bargaining agreement. And the franchises who were looking to be contracted, who were going to be contracted, were the Florida Marlins, owned by John Henry, the Minnesota Twins, owned by Carl Polad, and the Montreal Expos, owned by Jeffrey Loria. I asked for a ton of information about contraction. I had meetings with the president of baseball, Bob Dupay. I had meetings with Bud Selig. I needed to make it very clear that Jeffrey Laurie had no interest in being contracted unless he could then own another team. If you're going to take get rid of the Expos, fine. Let's see about another team. And that's when I and a lawyer had come up with the idea of that whole franchise swap with the uh, Red Sox and the Expos and the Marlins because John Henry wanted out of Florida. You may remember this from 2002. But during an owner's meeting, Jeffrey and I had met with our lawyers prior to the owner's meeting. We knew something was coming up at the owner's meeting and we prepared a statement for Jeffrey to read at the owner's meeting. In that statement, he stood up during an owner's meeting and read a letter and the letter he read was not addressed to anyone specific. It was addressed to all of the other 29 owners. And it said, I love this game. I do not want to be out of this game. I just got in this game. And I'm willing to work together with everyone to make sure that it is a result that's good for the industry, for the fans, not all fans, because if a team is contracted or a team moves, it's not good for all fans. It's good for most fans and for me. And we had him read that letter we told the commissioner that he was going to have something to say. I may or may not have shown that letter in advance to the president of baseball, but not the commissioner, who I had a relationship with. I may or may not have made sure the media was aware that there was a letter that was going to be written so the media would not write any articles that Jeffrey Laurie was willing to be contracted. We may or may not have had a plan in place that covered all of our bases. forward to 2022. Daniel Snyder is under great fire. He is getting it from all angles. Doesn't know who his friends are, knows some of his enemies because they're loud. The scariest enemies are the ones who are quiet. Daniel Snyder says, I've got a plan here. And the plan is, I'm going to write a letter 
to each of the other 31 owners. It's going to be a personal letter. It got leaked. Are you ready? We're going through it. It's so spectacular that I was smiling while reading the letter. It's a form letter that had no personal touch. It was dear blank, right? And you do a, oh, what's the word that, um, Coca, do you have any idea what the word is when uh, you are doing a mass mailing and you make it look personal because you insert a name into the letter? Merge, it's some sort of thing on word where you can merge or something. So dear blank, and he would merge in the name of the owners. And he ends it with, sincerely, Dan Snyder. But what's in between is nothing short of spectacular. Dear blank, I hope that you and your family are doing well. Yippee-ki-yay. When you start a letter with that, it means you don't care whether or not somebody is doing well or their family is doing well. I'm guilty of this too. Hey, in a text, happy birthday, hope you're doing well. Well, I'm texting to say happy birthday. I do hope you're doing well, but it's not as though I've spoken to you in six months. It's not as though I've given you great opportunity to respond other than thumbs up or heart emoji, blue heart emoji, red heart emoji, whatever emojis you're supposed to use. It's such an empty thing, and I find myself using it too, but I'm not leading with that when I've got something else to say. You can end with that, but the reason you don't lead with that is when you do and you've got a letter the way Dan Snyder does, the family's not going to be doing well by the end of the letter, and the family wasn't doing well when you started with the letter because the last we heard from anybody about you, Danny boy, is that you were sending people to investigate us when we were going to strip malls. So don't start with, I hope you and your family are doing well, because I know damn well you don't give a flying rat's ass whether me and my family are doing well. Then he gets right to it. I would like to address a recent ESPN article that contains false and malicious statements about the Washington Commanders, our management team, and me and my family. Okay. I didn't think you were writing a holiday letter. I didn't think you were inviting us to Thanksgiving dinner. Or maybe, what else could you be writing us about? About a rule change you wanted? Oh, about an issue you had with a penalty call in one of the games? about Ron Rivera, oh, I know. You were writing us to update us on Carson Wentz's injury. Thank you so much, Danny. We wanted to know that he's gonna be out four weeks. It's very nice that you wanna address it. It is particularly shameful for ESPN to diminish the very real accomplishments of our president, Jason Wright, who ESPN alleges was placed at the commanders by the league and has no power to make real change. Wow. He said the quiet part out loud. And I'm not impugning Jason Wright as president. Don't get me wrong. But does anybody think it was a coincidence when Jason Wright was hired? Come on. Be better than that. Listen to past episodes of Nothing Personal. Jason Wright is a smart, capable executive. Taking that job with the commanders, he knew exactly what he was getting into, but the opportunity to run a team and to be the author of a potential turnaround, it's like Ron Rivera. It's not as though Ron Rivera was recherché by 30 teams getting in charge of all personnel, and then all of a sudden Ron Rivera is the face and the, the spokesperson for diversity for the commanders, and then in comes the black president. 
All of this was calculated by Danny Snyder to make sure that people knew, hey, I'm not racist, I'm not misogynistic, we have no harassment, we're doing everything the right way, and now we hired a president and he can do everything. Did you believe that? Did anyone who heard that believe that? There is no president who acts without permission from the owner, period. There is no manager who acts without permission of the general manager, period. Why do you think in all these baseball press conferences post-game, the managers are asked the same question? Did you make that decision, or was that decision made by you? Andrew Friedman spent 20 minutes after the Dodgers got eliminated having to explain that Dave Roberts makes all in-game decisions, and everybody was rolling their eyes. It's absurd. Of course the managers don't make all the in-game decisions. It's all discussed and planned. Oh, you're right. Rob Thompson took Aaron uh, took uh, Wheeler out last night for sure without anybody knowing in the front office. Give me a break. So Dan Snyder in his letter leads with the fact that what's really upsetting about the ESPN article is that Jason Wright's role was diminished. No, what's really upsetting in the article is the fact that you're hiring people to spy on us. Remember who's reading the article. Excuse me. Remember who's reading the letter. The letter is addressed to the other owners. Do you think, pick any owner, Let's pick John Marr of the New York Giants. Do you think he reads the ESPN article and his takeaway is, oh man, that's too bad about Jason Wright. Give me a break. What he's saying is, wait a minute, he hired someone to look at me? He wasn't with me when I was just on the 47th floor of that hotel, was he? He wasn't with me when I was taking that drive and that trip and there was someone, no. Can't now. I got to look over my shoulder. That's what the other owners were focused on in the article, not Jason Wright being a eunuch. But he leads with it, thinking that it would curry favor with the other owners. It's amazing how bad the advice is that he gets. And then he continues I know you know this to be false. Unfortunately, ESPN ignored our efforts to correct the many falsehoods in their article before the publication. Really? I'd like to know the last hatchet job that existed without the opportunity for the person being hatcheted to actually say something. Now, if you say something that's false, that has no backing, that is totally self-serving and cannot be in any way corroborated, there's no reason that the newspaper or the investigative journalist is going to put that in. Are you telling me that they never contacted you about this article? Are you telling me you had no way of knowing this article was coming out? I don't believe you. Every time there's a hatchet job on me, I got warned. Hey, it's coming. Do you want to say something? And I'd say, hey, do I need to? How bad is it? Well, I can't tell you how bad it is, but I can just tell you we'd like to ask you about X, Y, and Z. Okay. Ignored our efforts. ESPN should have come out with a statement after saying, we didn't ignore Mr. Snyder. No, I'd call him Danny. We didn't ignore Danny. We gave him ample opportunity, and he never chose to respond. But then the letter continues. There is one allegation in the ESPN article that I feel it is important to address immediately. This is the third paragraph of the letter. The first paragraph, hope your family's doing well. The second paragraph is Jason Wright's a good guy and he's got power. So those seem to be important, but now we're getting to, there's one allegation, third paragraph in the article that I feel it is important to address immediately. Well, why didn't you address it immediately? When you have something to address immediately, lead with it. Show the reader of the letter or the article that this is hugely important. Don't bury it. You know the expression, burying the lead? Don't do it. But anyway, he wants to do this immediately. Hell of a letter, Danny, so far. 
The article, here we go. The article cited unnamed sources, as many do, who said, quote, they've been told that Snyder instructed his law firms to hire private investigators to look into other owners and Commissioner Goodell. Uh, now we're getting to it. This is why you're writing a letter to the owners. And he said, that is patently false. Again, a little suggestion when you're trying to deny something, you don't need the adjective. You can just say this is false, right? Patently false means this is so false, I can't even tell you. This makes true look so far away. This is like the height of false. Ignore that. Don't do adjectives. It makes you feel good because you want people to really read it. That's like putting things in bold, like, or all caps. Like, make sure you really read this part. The rest of the letter is a bunch of horse crap. But what I put in bold, that's what I really need you to focus on. <laughs> this is patently false and intended to erode the trust and goodwill between owners that I take quite seriously. Huh. Interesting. I have never hired any private investigator to look into any owner or the commissioner. Uh-oh. I'm very worried about that sentence. I have never instructed or authorized my lawyers to hire any private investigator on my behalf for any such purpose. Danny, are you saying that you'd hire private investigators or cause private investigators to be hired for other such purposes? When you put a sentence in there that's so specific, hmm, that sort of opens up the possibility that you do hire private investigators to look into your employees, to come up with an enemies list, to come up with a hit list, to get dirt on various people like, ooh, maybe Bruce Allen? You know you can't lie in the letter because anything you say can and will be used against you. You know that you've got to make sure the 24 owners are very clear that you're not after them, you're after someone else. Or are you? How did this sentence get approved? I have never hired any private investigator to look into any owner or the commissioner. If you've never hired a private investigator to look into anyone, you'd end the sentence after private investigator. It would say, I've never hired any private investigator, period. I have never instructed or authorized my lawyers to hire any private investigator, period. Instead, you write on my behalf for any such purpose. Danny, you just admitted you hired private investigators. You crazy cat, you. While we are all fierce competitors on the field, we are a part of this organization because we love football, our teams, and our fans. How many times do I have to tell owners, please put fans first when you're doing a list of things you love or things you're thankful for? Just do it. You may not believe it, and you don't. You may not agree with it, and I know you don't, but just put fans first. We like seeing ourselves first. We're a part of an organization because we love our fans, football, and our teams. That's how I would have said it. Having the privilege to own a franchise in an America's sport is something I know none of us take for granted. Well, that's not true. So many of them take it for granted. I always took it for granted. Hey, this is my right to be the president of a team. You're firing me? Come on. Falsehoods and lies, the letter continues, being spread about any of our organizations hurts our league, our players, and our fans. <laughs> Wrong order. Why don't you put say what's true here? Falsehoods and lies being spread about any of our organizations hurts us. Why not just be honest for a change and say, man, it really sucks if you're an owner. We don't want to see anybody sarver, do we? 
And then this is the end. Thank you for taking the time to read this. When you're sending a letter to a prospective employer or to a friend or to someone you work with or to your boss, don't ever end it with thank you for taking the time to read this because what you're saying is it's really not been a worthwhile journey that you've been on and I wasted your time and there's really nothing you're going to do from this letter that you're reading that I wrote, but I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to read this. If you have any questions, Tanya and I, Tanya, what does Tanya have to do with it? Tanya and I are always available to answer them. And we look forward to discussing these issues with you at the appropriate time. Holy crikeys. Danny, the appropriate time is right about now. That letter is an all-timer. Do you know what I understand when they read it? I was picturing how that got delivered. Do you think it got delivered via, like, courier? Was it delivered to everybody's home office so they didn't get it? Or was it put on their desk at the owner's meetings where you can get letters to everybody put on the desk if you work with the National Football League, you can have something in the owner's packet that they all get when they sit at the desk. Do you think there was a moment when you heard this, like at the meeting, it was the, it was the crackle of an envelope opening? Do you think everyone at once, all 32 people, they opened their reading glasses at once and put them on, like a nothing person with YouTube, YouTube nothing person with David Sampson, I'm doing it right now. Do you think they all put on their reading glasses and they looked down at the letter at the same time and they read that crock of crap? Oh, there's so much more to go at this owner's meeting, but we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. After the break, we do have to get to the review. I got to get to the pick of the day. We haven't even talked baseball yet because this was so good. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, and uh, getting on YouTube and and hitting the subscribe button. As a reminder, get us to 10,000 subscribers. Let's start at that. We're not even at that yet. Let's get to that, please. There's something good in there for you. So I'm still watching movies every day. I want to talk about something else that happened at the owner's meeting, Coca. Can I, do you want me to save that for tomorrow, or can I get into what happened with Jerry Jones? Because I think it's pretty fascinating. Because this is Jerry Jones' business and this is Roger Goodell's business. Commissioners are very interested in one thing, just as an FYI. They're interested in their next contract. Roger Goodell has made in the last two years about $128 million. He is a very well-paid person. He is like the CEO of a big company that's a $12, $15, $20 billion company. The franchise values, we've got 32 franchises. Let's say they're each worth $3 billion dollars. They're worth more, but all in. But let's just say $100 billion of worth. This is not a small business. 
it is absolutely normal for Roger Goodell to be paid what he's paid. There was a big fight in the owners' meeting yesterday between Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft. There's so much consternation between owners right now. Forget This didn't even involve Danny Boy. There's something called the Compensation Committee. It was a very, very sought-after committee in Major League Baseball because that's the committee that gets to decide the salary for the commissioner. And there's a lot of back and forth that goes into who's on the Compensation Committee because the commissioner names people on the Compensation Committee, Compensation Committee, and he's going to name people who are his friends and allies who are going to vote to give him a good salary because remember that the way the salary is paid to a commissioner is 132nd by each team. It is equally split among the teams. It has nothing to do with the Cowboys paying more or the Cowboys paying less. It is the, the Charlotte Panthers pay the same as the Dallas Cowboys. So who's on the compensation committee is a very big deal. And then the power of the compensation committee. Sometimes the committee can do a deal with the commissioner without even coming back to the owners. Sometimes they can't, and the compensation committee makes a deal with the commissioner, but then it has to be subject to the full vote of the owners. The fact of the matter is that the compensation committee then assigns itself a certain number of teams each. If there's five members of the committee and there's 30 teams in the league. Each member of the committee has six teams. They call up the owners of those six teams. They make sure they've got the votes. They count the votes. And then if they've got the votes, they take it to a vote what the contract will be for the commissioner. Apparently, Jerry Jones wants to be on the compensation committee, and he's not because he's not happy. And he's had this fight with Roger Goodell before, and he lost it a few years ago before Goodell's last contract. He wants to make sure that Goodell's bonuses are tied into certain financial parameters that are clear. I couldn't agree with him more. When you have a bonus structure for an employee, the only thing that matters, even more so than the amount of the bonus, is how that bonus gets earned, and it's got to be beyond discussion. There are certain metrics that are that are that are weighed and measured, and they're easily weighed and measured. And if you hit those thresholds, a bonus is earned. And all Jerry Jones was saying is that I want to make sure that we're all clear here so that we don't get bamboozled with extra bonuses that we didn't know were going to be earned by the commissioner. We all do this with our employees and all of our other businesses, including our football teams. It makes sense to do it with the commissioner. And he's totally right. Robert Kraft, on the other hand, didn't want to hear any of that. He's very satisfied with how everything was going and how vague everything was. And Jerry Jones, in the middle of a meeting, said, hey, don't F with me. I don't want to make this an explicit podcast, but it was F star star K, the most nimble word in the dictionary. And Robert Kraft said, what? You talking to me? And then Jerry Jones said, don't mess with me. So there's fighting going on here between owners. There's one owner sending a letter to all owners. It's total mayhem in the meeting. And Roger Goodell, and the only subject that truly was discussed as a group was his salary. Roger, you've got it going on, man. The world is crumbling below you. There is quicksand. There are bombs coming in from every angle. And you're sitting there with the tie on, open collar. You can't be both. Tie off, open collar, whatever. Blazer. And you're looking pretty. That's one nothing you, Roger. Can't wait to see what happens at the other owners' meetings. All right. I'm not even going to get to Aftershock. I, I'm going to review that tomorrow. I'm not doing a review. I always do review. Am I out of time? I think I only have five minutes left, and I've got to get to parts of what happened yesterday in baseball. So this is the first show I've lost track of time. I'm sorry, Coca. We're not going to get a review. If you watch Aftershock, Everest, and then Paul Earthquake, I'm going to review that on tomorrow's show. 
it's, it is well worth your time, but I want to get into a full review because there's stuff that went on there that I was not aware of. Last night was the deciding game five in the Yankees series. How many of you, as yesterday uh, uh, afternoon, how many of you were concerned that the Yankees were not going to move on? How many of you were wondering why when you run a team and you've got a pitcher who could pitch and you don't pitch him, why that is? The Cleveland Guardians did not change their pitching plans after the rainout on Monday the way the Yankees did. The Yankees were going with a bullpen game for deciding game five. They wanted a rainout, they got the rainout, and then they came back with nasty Nestor Cortez to pitch in game five on short rest. Advantage Yankees. But the Guardians had the same opportunity for the advantage. They could have pitched Shane Bieber. Instead, they went with Aaron Savali. Aaron Savali is a number eight starter who should not be getting the ball against the Yankees. He gets rocked by the Yankees. His stuff does not play against the Yankees, meaning it's, it's, his stuff is way too weak to get Yankee hitters out. What are you doing? Terry Francona, who's a Hall of Fame manager who I have great respect for, was forced to be the spokesperson for this decision. It was not his decision. This was a front office decision, make no mistake. And he said, we need to protect Shane Bieber so that he doesn't get hurt moving forward. Folks, when you have an opportunity to win a playoff series, I don't care if you have to win four more playoff series. I don't care if you're going to Houston to play the Astros and then have to somehow beat the Phillies or the Padres. I don't care any of it. I don't care if half your players are hurt. I don't care if you've got everyone signed to long-term deals and you think that your window of, of winning is going to exist next year, the year after, and the year after. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. You are in a position to win a playoff series. You go down with your best. Hard stop. If Shane Bieber gets hurt for pitching on short rest, then he gets hurt for pitching on short rest. If he doesn't pitch well, you have him on a short leash. You have your bullpen ready to go. Giancarlo Stanton saw a pitch from Aaron Savali that was so bad in the first inning. So bad that he went oppo, crushed it, 3 nothing Yankees after a third of an inning. Savali got one out. He struck out Aaron Judge. Terry Francona had to walk to the mound and take out Aaron Savali in a deciding game five, already down three runs. The game was over in the first inning. Over. Infuriating if you're a Guardians fan. Now, Francona's not in any danger because the front office told him to do it. Front offices should be held accountable. And the reason I say that, and I was in a front office... And I made decisions all the time that you all didn't agree with. And I had my reasons and I would do them again because I don't let the public decide. I don't let the media decide. I make my own decisions. That said, you never accused me of not trying to win. You accused me of making bad trades. You accused me of making bad signings. You accused me of trading away young guys for crappy veterans who I thought would give us a better chance to win today because I was always worried about today because I learned in 03 from Jack McKean, you worry about today, not tomorrow. You pitch Beckett on short rest in game six. Don't save him for game seven. We don't want to take the chance. When you have a chance to win, you go with your best, and the Guardians didn't, and now they are home. The Yankees got on a flight. They got to Houston in the middle of the night, and they're going to play tonight. The LCS is going to start, and it's going to be one heck of a series. It's what MLB wanted. It's what MLB needed. Having the Astros and the Yankees play, that is very good for business. All right, pick of the day. We didn't even get to the NLCS game one. Maybe we'll 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 do both tomorrow, Coca. I mean, I, I mean, unless Danny Snyder writes another letter. Uh, we had the Phillies over the Padres. I hope you did too, because we could have made some money. We're one nineteen and ninety four. We have two games today in baseball, and I'm going to give you picks for both. 
The Padres and Phillies play a game two. I did not say that this game two is a must win. Maybe on CBS Sports HQ I did a must win for the Padres, but you know here in my pod at Nothing Personal, a must win is only an elimination game. However, you lose the first two games at home, you're totally screwed. However, Aaron is on the mound, and he hasn't given up a run in three starts, and he is overpowering, and good pitching beats good offense in the postseason, as we've seen. Blake Snell is going for the Padres in this must-win game. I don't know. So I'm taking the under seven, because Nola doesn't give up runs, and the San Diego offense is pressing so under seven is the play in the Padres-Phillies game too, but it will be a very interesting game to watch. Game one of Astros-Yankees starts tonight. Don't worry about the hangover for the Yankees. Don't worry about any of that. There's only one thing you need to focus on if you are the New York Yankees or a fan of the Yankees, and his name is Justin Verlander. Verlander had a terrible first start in the postseason. I do not believe he will have back-to-back bad starts, and I believe that he will plow through the Yankees because he's got stuff that is far better than Savali, stuff that is far better than Bieber right now. He's going to be your Cy Young Award winner. You're going to have to lay some, but take the Astros, Verlander, because the Yankees, their pitching's upside down, and they're going with the old game five starter, Tyone, who then got bumped for Cortez because the Yankees said, hey, we no reason to save Cortez for the Astros. We got to get to the Astros by beating the Guardians, doing what the Guardians should have done. So now, the result is you're starting with your number four starter in the LCS. That's okay. It's a long series. Go with the Astros. Those are the two picks. Well, thanks for being here. That was a lot to cover. That was a heavy, beefy show. And I want to end the show by saying this, in addition to it's just business, nothing personal. I want to end it with the following. I hope that you and your family are doing well and have a good day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. Sincerely, David Sampson. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.